Welcome to the SCI Forum podcast. This podcast was produced by the Northwest Regional Spinal Cord Injury System in the University of Washington Department of Rehabilitation Medicine. The Northwest Regional SCI System is dedicated to improving the lives of people with SCI through excellent patient care, research, and education. To learn more about our podcasts and videos or to make a donation, go to sci.washington.edu. This podcast was taken from a live SCI forum. You can watch the video on our website or YouTube channel. Go to sci.washington.edu slash videos. This uh, portion of our SCI summit today really grew out of a lot of discussions, um, both with talking with people with spinal cord injury, as well as talking to other providers. Um, and I think that one of the things that has come up a lot is that a lot of people feel like um, there's a lot to learn, uh, which I think is totally true. Um, I also think that a lot of people uh, forget about how to communicate. Um, and I think that the best way to learn is from people who um, have le lived experience and can kind of give that ex um, information to you. Um, so we have invited four fantastic people uh, to join us today to really talk about some things about thinking about their healthcare providers, what worked, what didn't, um, both early after injury as well as now and in dealing with healthcare as they go. Um, and so I'm going to let each of them just briefly introduce themselves um, and tell just a brief um, bit about their injury, when they were injured, um, and then we'll move into me asking them questions. Um, um, and I will try to leave a decent amount of time at the end for your questions as well. So thank you all, and thanks to our panel for being here. And if it's okay, I'll start with you, Shannon, if you could introduce yourself. My name is Shannon Tyman, and I was injured two and a half years ago in March of 2015, um, bicycle accident. And uh, I am a C5, C6 bubble injury. My name is Don Totten. Um, I was hurt in 81 skiing at uh, White Pass. Um, I'm a T5-ish, sort of start around T4, get done around T6. Um, and I've got a son, a wife, and I work at Microsoft. My name is Lan Remy. I was injured in 2011 in a bicycle accident. I'm a C5, C6. And I'm Kyle Ryder. I uh, broke my neck to C5 level just over two years ago in a shallow dive accident. Thank you all for being here. Um, the first question that I want to uh, direct to you is really thinking about kind of that early experience with healthcare after injury. Um, typically, people don't have a lot of exposure until they have an injury like this. Um, and I'm curious about kind of what your experiences were in that early aftermath. And if it's okay, I'll start with you, Kyle. That just what was your experience and kind of um, talk a little bit about what was helpful and um, what made it easier. So since our discussion earlier, I've thought about this a lot. And I think there's a real challenge for providers right after an injury like this because um, in certain situations, or in my situation, I was heavily medicated 
And so you've got the effect of the drugs uh, making things very unclear. And at the same time, you know, there's a desire for clarity to really fully understand what's happened to you and what the future looks like. Uh, and then on top of that, you also have a fair amount of uncertainty just to the nature of a spinal cord injury. So I think that there's a way to balance that uh, for the as a provider where you're having honest discussions uh, in a timely manner uh, while at the same time understanding that uh, you might need to repeat this that conversation a couple days later or a week later or a couple weeks later. But it, it really took me, I would say, three months or between two or three months before I fully comprehended the scope of my injury. Uh, I remember being in the ICUs, you know, the weeks or the the first two weeks after my injury, imagining how I would design my, redesign the house to have uh, like a jungle gym so we could swing around the room, not understanding that you could be paralyzed and lose function of your wrist and hands like I have. Um, you know, I, I, just the whole scope was totally foreign, so. I'm going to jump to you, Shannon. What about you? What was your early experience and kind of what, what did you find helpful in, in that early time from healthcare providers? Um, well, I will say I'm going to start with a challenge first, um, which was that I didn't have a primary care provider at the time, and I think it would have been really comforting to have a doctor to work with who I was already familiar with. Um, so that was a big challenge, you know, meeting new doctors and trying to develop a relationship at the same time that you are getting, you know, somewhat devastating news um, that you're trying to comprehend and digest, and um, there's a lot of learning there that's going on too. Um, so of course, there's nothing you can do about that in advance except maybe go get a primary care doctor. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say um, another challenge. Sorry to focus on challenges. I know you didn't ask for that, but. Was that, you know, one year, and I was in Harborview as a teaching hospital, and, you know, my doctors changed a couple times while I was in inpatient rehab, and that was a little startling as well. You know, you're, you're just developing this relationship, and you're learning about your injury, and then you're like, oh, tomorrow you'll have a new team of doctors. Um, so it's hard to figure out who to turn to if you have questions. And then, um, you know, you, you get out of the hospital and, uh, you know, I've had questions with my insurance company, you know, two years later, questions with my insurance company, like, like, do I call my spinal cord injury doctor? Do I call my primary care doctor who I don't even know very well? Do I call my urologist? Like, who do I call? Um, who's responsible for helping me, like, get this stuff done? And I think the answer is that you're the one responsible for it. And whichever doctor you know the best is probably going to help you. Um, but it's all really confusing, and I don't know that I have great advice as to how to manage all that, except if you have a, a really go-getter family member who might want to organize it for you. Um, but I think just the sheer um, quantity of information and medical providers that you work with is really overwhelming. I don't know if I answered your question at all. That's great. 
Can you speak a little bit to kind of that early period during inpatient rehab? You were at Harborview as well. Um, what are the things that were kind of really important for you in terms of thinking about kind of learning about it and, and really getting through that process? Well, uh, my, uh, my therapist, my, my doctor, and most of my uh, experiences with the professionals in inpatient was just really about as good as it could get. I, I felt like I was in, in good hands with people who knew what to do and knew their way around. And uh, I myself was, it was, it was over, pretty overwhelming. And, and I just felt like uh, this, this blob. I, I didn't know how to, to do much of anything except maybe watch TV. <laughs> uh, but uh, Early on, I'd had surgery when I first arrived, and so I was—I had some pain and was on a lot of pain medications for I think all the time I was in inpatient, and and that that clouded a lot of things as well. But the the therapists and the the doctors just by being positive and and goal oriented and forward moving just gave me lots of hope and, and encouragement for, for the most part. And I know it's been a little while, Don. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you think back to that time, and your rehab was a very different experience than it's been in more recent years, a lot longer time. That's what but I understand, yeah. Yeah, did you um, did you think about? I mean, when you think back, do you think that there was things that really prepared you for how you're dealing with healthcare providers now? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe to start with the the. I was pretty young. I was 17 when I got hurt, um, and reasonably athletic, um, and so I'd um, I'd been hurt in other ways quite often. Actually, <laughs> pretty uh, you know injury prone. Um, and so the, the idea that I wasn't going to get better um, was pretty foreign to me. Um, and so I, I think I was, you know, I, it was helpful actually to go four or five months thinking I was going to get better. And then by the time I wasn't, had convinced myself that I wasn't going to get better, I was kind of used to it. I, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But um, but there was that. Um, the, the other thing, I think Kathy Worms, who is here, I saw earlier was my one of my rehab nurses, and they did a really nice job back then of sort of um, matching you up with somebody and and keeping you with them forever. Um, I mean, I, I I think I last saw Kathy the the month before she retired, right? So um, that kind of relationship was. I think super helpful, and she was really good at saying, "Hey, this isn't a reset rehab problem. Um, you know, you need to go over there for the thing you came in for today." And and that relationship was really big for me. I think. Yeah, and I don't know that. Do you guys feel like you have kind of unidentified person, or is it more of the kind of expertise? I heard the rest of you kind of talk about like your SCI team versus your non-SCI teams. Um, do you feel like you have people? Know anybody, Kyle? Do you want to respond to that? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I feel, as Shannon alluded to earlier, that's really important for the patient to own uh, their own care. Uh, and I think for most people, they need to hear that from a doctor or from 
from someone from a provider. Um, and, and so I think that's a key component is for the providers to coach people how to be a good patient. Uh, cause it's not, it doesn't come naturally. I think what it comes naturally is for people to, to want to just hear definitive information from providers and have it be black and white. And it's not that way at all. Yeah, there's very little about spinal cord injury that's just black and white. Mm-hmm. Makes it harder. I'm curious about, um, had to have you all talk a little bit about kind of what helped with your kind of adjustment in that process from inpatient to outpatient. Things that your therapists and your physicians said that really helped that process be easier and things that may have been more difficult. Um, starting with you, Lan. What were things that your team really um, were good about and then things that were a little bit harder? Well, I, th- I think the, uh, the skills of uh, transfer skills. Uh, also, uh, my, my wife uh, was very involved in, in my inpatient, and she was there pretty much every day. And they uh, encouraged her and, and trained her in how to uh, take care of my basic daily uh, needs and, and functions. And so that, that gave uh, both of us a lot of assurance that we would be equipped uh, for that transition to home. Uh, even, even though we did know that was going to be challenging, it was, it was uh, very in- encouraging to have that training, especially for her, the uh, staff, the, the therapist, and the nursing staff at Harborview worked Quite a bit with with her and uh, and me uh, together uh, to make sure that happened. Uh, some of the other things that happened were uh, you know referrals. Uh, oh, and of course I should mention one of the forgotten things is recreational therapy. Uh, that was kind of a, a treat and unexpected mm-hmm. pleasure. Every, every once in a while, this person would show up and say. I'm your recreational therapist. Let's go to Molly Moons. And I go, hey, wow. Hey, they can take cool me to Molly Moons. <laughs> Shannon's jealous. I but the recreational therapists had uh, so many practical tips on uh, operating an elevator, uh, mm-hmm. crossing a crosswalk, uh, uh, all kinds of practical things that uh, just wouldn't normally come up in a medical setting. So that was huge. And uh, one day we went to a museum in the big Harborview bus and, and then dropped by my house where people were working on the ramp and things to, to get things ready. So that was all kind of neat. The recreational therapy was especially uh, helpful to me. So getting out in the community a little bit, you all had that experience, correct? Yeah, and Kyle, you did your rehab at Craig Hospital in in Colorado, correct? Yep. And they have a great rec therapy program as well. I understand. Can you do you want to talk a little bit about that and fitting with kind of this whole piece of getting you prepared to be out in the world? I think what recreational therapy does really well is it shows you that it's o uh, it's okay to be a little bit vulnerable, and um, when you're I too identified identify as being someone who's very independent, and to go from being fully functioning to being very dependent uh, in an inpatient setting 
you develop a level of comfort where you have providers to your left and to your right. So if you need a infectious disease doctor, they just show up the next morning to where you're living, you know, in the in the hospital. And recreational therapy kind of shows you it's all right. You know, you can go to the mall or go on a hike or or go out and be far, you know, far away from uh, the, that core of professionals. Uh, and that and that's really freeing. So on the other side of things, like there's been a lot of things, and you all had really positive experiences in preparing you. But are there people or or statements or things that stand out that you kind of went, oh, that was hard, that wasn't helpful in my process? And, you know, thinking back, Don, were there things that you remember or that you even hear now that just make it harder to kind of feel like you can access health care? That's a good question. I, um, one of my residents, when I when I first got hurt, um, yeah, I was I think realized that I was in that denial phase I was talking about earlier, and um, and pulled me aside one day and said, "Listen, you're going to see people walk out of this place. You're not going to be one of them. So yeah, so you need to start getting prepared for it." And um, I don't know if it was. Uh, I think you know, it, at the time it caught me as you know a little off, but. It, he was, you know, turned out to be right, and um, and it was something I needed to hear probably at the time. Um, it's a little off the topic, but I got really lucky when I got hurt. I was at the U for rehab and the 1981 National Wheelchair Games was at the U that year, and mm-hmm. um, and so I just went straight to having, you know, I'm, I'm not just a guy who's going to be. St- I'd never met a wheelchair person before I got hurt, and all of a sudden there was, you know, a thousand of them at the track. Um, it was, I guess, super lucky that way. So I know I didn't answer that part of your question very well, but I, I, I'm lucky in that regard for sure. Yeah, connecting yeah. to resources is really important. Yeah. And Shannon, you talked, we talked a little bit about just how important kind of it, the overwhelming nature and the relatively short stays really pushed you to kind of finding resources on the Internet. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess um, one of the first things I did, you know, you leave the hospital and you're just kind of in shock and you you go home and you can't do a lot of stuff. Um, So one of the things I spent certainly the first couple months doing is just researching online. And I think um, I learned more in that period of time uh, than I had in, you know, the month in rehab in some ways. And uh, my therapist definitely connected me to some resources, which was really useful. Um, But just seeing what other people can do. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're uh, hinting at as well. Um, and getting a sense of what sort of possibilities are out there um, was really important to that process of, okay, well, maybe I can figure out how to do this. Um, and I think one of the hardest things is that there is no in-the-box solution that works for everybody. And that's really hard to wrap your head around. Uh when, you know, you want to solve the problem or, you know, you want to figure out, well, what are the things I need to be doing? And they're not always the same for everyone. Um, and so poking around in the internet, there's just so many windows into how different people are figuring out solutions for themselves. Um, and it can be really um, eye-opening and help you figure out what's going to work for you as well. Yeah. 
In terms of thinking about kind of ongoing healthcare, um, you a couple of you've mentioned kind of that taking the lead and and kind of being the expert on yourself and. I think, Shannon, you're talking about that as well. Of There's so many ways to do things and um, finding your own way and figuring it out, um, but potentially needing help to do that. What has that experience been like in terms of working with kind of your SCI team versus working with kind of other healthcare providers that may not have a lot of people on their you know, on their list? So um, folks that may be out in the community who are physical therapists, occupational therapists that don't have a lot of spinal cord injury um, experience, uh, primary care doctors who may only see one or two people um, and don't always know the variety, urology, those other things. Kyle, can you talk a little bit about kind of what that experience has been like? What's What the people who have done it well, what they do, and the people who don't do it well, what, what would you recommend that people here don't ever do? Um. So one example of uh, the, the latters, uh, I went to, to a dentist just prior to my injury, and uh, I'm not the best about getting to the dentist. So, and you know, they're always like, they're, I feel like dentists are always concerned about canceled appointments more so than other providers. So <laughs> I felt really bad because I had scheduled an appointment, a follow-up, but I missed it, and I didn't call them, you know, because I broke my neck. And... <laughs> Um, so I, I made a, another appointment and when I went there, um, you know, I told him beforehand too, cause this was, you know, I'm really, I was concerned. I want to be like, Hey, I'm, you know, now in a wheelchair and that's why I missed the last appointment. I'm sorry. And, um, when I got there, they just treated me, uh, with, in a manner where they were just really nervous I think, uh, and they, uh, ended up not charging me for the appointment and kind of made it a bigger deal than, than it, than it was. Mm-hmm. You know, I now am in a wheelchair and, uh, so, you know, I, I ask for certain accommodations, but when they go that far and the, and it's okay to be uncomfortable, um, I'm uncomfortable and, uh, I don't expect everyone else to be comfortable. But to not make it an overwhelming big deal, and you know, you know, like six people coming into the room to, and everyone's asking, "Are you okay?" or and and um, um, and then actually not even charging me made. Well, I think they're just trying to be kind. I, you know, this is every day I'm in this chair. Every day um, I'm asking people to help me, um, and I I try not to make a big deal out of it. So I think having providers to also not make a big deal out of it. Uh, and then in terms of doing it well, you know, I, I think, um, part, you know, I think just flip that coin the, uh, on the other, in the other direction and just try to make it as, as, as comfortable for you as possible and as comfortable and, and, in that case, it's comfortable for the, for the patient as well. Lan, how about you? When I uh, released from inpatient, I began my outpatient at a, a, an HMO, which doesn't really specialize in spinal cord injury. And the first few months of my outpatient, I was dealing exclusively 
with that, I completely uh, dropped the connection with with uh, Harborview and, and UW at that point. And it was uh, I, I did I made that choice because of a uh, what turned out to be a misunderstanding about the insurance coverage I had. Uh, I could have stayed with Harborview or or UW, uh, but we didn't read the or understand the the fine print in the policy yet. So I did spend a few months uh, with that HMO and, and over time began to realize that this uh, was not getting me connected with, with resources. Uh, a, a doctor uh, said, well, I, I saw a, a need to adjust the foot plate uh, on your uh, wheelchair. So I called uh, Care Medical, uh, which was a, the company at that time. I left them a voicemail to get on that right away. And I go, oh. <laughs> so uh, as, as, as we all probably in this room know, it takes a lot more than just leaving a voicemail uh, with <laughs> paramedical to get that kind of uh, service. So, uh, uh, so I, uh, I, I then began uh, looking around and I, I did get a referral to get back to UW and, and found out I could have really been going there all along. And, and uh, also the uh, transitions program, I got back to, to UW through the transitions program, which uh, the uh, occupational therapist had signed me up for when I left Harborview. But that got me connected again. And I realized it's a world of difference to be where people understand your issues and, and the the resources a person really needs to have to, to function in, in this life. Don, can you share your uh, story about your shoulders? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so uh, being a 36 or so year paraplegic, um, your shoulders kind of wear out o- over time. Um, I, uh, I hurt my right shoulder um, getting into a Suburban uh, in a hurry. Uh, maybe four or five years ago now, um, and uh, and you know it was clear right away that I'd done something pretty wrong. Um, I went to a, um, a, a ProLiance surgeon guy here in town. He said, "Yep, we're going to do surgery tomorrow, and um, here are your options for um, you know long-term care homes that you can live in while your shoulder um, heals up." So I went back, you know. A little bit, as you can imagine, stunned by that, and figuring, you know, okay, I'm quitting my job, I'm, you know, or or at least taking a three month sabbatical, and it's going to be pretty, um, pretty um, intrusive. So I um, I went back to the U um, and and looked up um, through Kathy and and other folks that had helped me before, um, a, a, a an attending at the Roosevelt Clinic who had done shoulders on paraplegics before and knew that it just doesn't work, right? Um, you can't keep the thing um, immobile enough uh, if you cut it all up for it to heal very well. Made plenty of sense to me. So he basically said, if you know, 100 out of 100 times, if you came in walking, I'd do surgery on that thing tomorrow, um, but I wouldn't do it ever if you rolled in here in a chair. Um, and so I, I took that. And it works just fine. I mean, it, it hurts a little every once in a while, but it's a lot better than I think I would have ended up had I just went with the ProLiance thing and, and done the usual, you know, you've torn up your shoulder, here's the surgery deal. 
So uh, anyway, so it, it it does help to compartmentalize. You you need people who who know what a paraplegic is, who know what a quadriplegic is, and who can um, who can make decisions based on a lot of interaction with people. I guess. Shannon, do you want to share your experience as well? Um, I'm actually going to tell a little story that happened to me the other day, which is more about um, being out in the community. Um, after we had our conversation, I was out at a bar a club that my friend had just opened, and I was just hanging out in the dance floor and um, with some friends of mine. And I probably had five or six people come up to me and um, say kind of odd things to me that night. And I understand it was midnight and people were out of the club. Um, but uh, at the end of that, uh, there was one woman who came up to me and uh, she bumped into my legs a little bit. And then uh, she kind of like touched me on the knee to apologize. And then she came back over and she said, she said, um, it's, I'm an occupational therapist and it is so good to see you out. And it, you know, it kind of struck me as it had already been a little bit of an overwhelming experience. Like people have been touching me without asking and, you know, all saying nice things. But, um, it just felt like in particular as someone who works in the field, it, it didn't make me feel particularly welcome. It made me feel, um, like it was extraordinary to be out in the community instead of like it was normal to be out in the community. I understand that it was meant really positively. Um, but it kind of stayed with me, you know. After that experience, I was like, wow, I was at, you know, this event for like an hour and a half. And, you know, five to ten people touched me inappropriately and said really weird things to me. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make me want to go back tomorrow, you know. It, it felt more like other people's experience than my experience. Um, so just, just a little piece of advice. Um, you know, I think it's cool that that woman and everyone else appreciated that I went out that night. But then I also thought to myself, you know, I'm two and a half years into this. Are people going to be telling me this like 37 years later? Like, oh, they're so glad that I got out in the community today. Um, yes. Don, do you get that for showing up for work? Great. So let's talk about that a little bit more because I think one of the things that I hear that I cringe about and you all know this because I told you, I, I cringe when I hear people talking about um, people with spinal cord injury being heroic or inspirational for mm -hmm. showing up for work or showing up for therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you all have had that experience. Um, tell, let's talk about that a little bit, about what that's like when you hear it from anyone at the club versus even at, like, from physicians, therapists, or other providers um, that you might expect. I mean, it sounds like you really expected better of somebody who's in the field. Mm -hmm. um, Don, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I, um, generally speaking, I don't wake up every day feeling different than everybody else. And so there's lots of different ways to remind somebody that they are. Um, some of them are, are, like you said, you know, very well-intentioned, but it just doesn't work out that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the that's the thing of it. It can come from people at work um, asking you, you know, for morale events, what would work for you, those sorts of things. Um, you know, on that particular note, right, pick a morale event. If I want to go, I'll go, even if I can't do the thing. Um, but, but to have it all based on me just makes you feel too different, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know if that made any sense or not. Mm -hmm. But uh, but anyway, that's that, that's the thing of it for me. I, I really don't day to day um, think of myself as being different than everybody else. And every you know, thirty seven years into it, um, and yeah, I I could use to not be reminded. Basically, is what it is. Lan, how about you? Uh, I think exactly that. Early on, I didn't. I, I was trying to feel like I was not different than anybody else. And now now I'm closer to feeling this is who I am. And so when someone said, oh, you, you inspire me, which was, the, I, I'm so inspired or so impressed. Uh, you know, early on that just kind of, you know, cut, cut a little bit because it, it brought it all back to me. But uh, as, as time went on, I just took it to the person really is trying to be thoughtful and trying to say something nice. So it, it didn't, didn't bother me as, as much. But I, I realized, too, there, there, are certain, there are certain people that uh, will, will never accept me as being a fully uh, complete uh, human being because of the way they, they view disability. And so that's a, a deeper kind of social problem that probably uh, will take some doing to, to work with. But I, I notice these, these uh, activist groups, these groups, uh, uh, what is it, uh, working to walk and things like that that are, are trying to make inroads and changing the way people think about disabilities seems like a good thing. How about you? Um, I think what you said it it does really resonate with me. Where I don't, uh, I feel like I'm just trying to survive, and that doesn't feel very heroic. Um, yeah. Shannon, did you want to add anything into that? I just say that you know there's a difference between someone inspiring you because they did something really cool that you know, you wish you could do. And like you're saying, just surviving because you don't have a choice. And I think that's the thing that is, it's, it makes you feel like you're different or, um, you know, maybe admiration is a better word. Like I admire you for how you've handled it as opposed to inspiration, which it's just kind of frustrating, you know, because none of us signed up for this, you know. Um, but people do do inspiring things all the time, and that's cool, and we can totally appreciate that. Um, so I think there is a little bit of that frustration there that a lot of us experience um, with inspiration and also with independence a little bit too. Absolutely. So I want you all to, um, I kind of prompted you all to think about this when we all talked, but I want to, um, before I move to questions from the audience, what advice would you give to healthcare providers, whether it be therapists or physicians or nurses or anyone, what kind of advice, what are the things you want people to think about um, when working with somebody with a spinal cord injury, whether it be brand new or 30 plus years out? Um, so, I don't know who wants to start. Kyle, do you want to start? Uh, yeah. So, thinking about my uh, health care voyage, I, certain people I think of really stand, 
some people really stand out in my mind. And I was trying to think what unifies those people as being really excellent providers. And it's the ability to both listen and to respond that I think makes a big difference. And as people overall in general, we're not good listeners. And it's hard, you know, when you introduce yourself to someone, often you don't remember their name because you're so focused on, you know, what impression are you making in in that small interaction you're not listening. And when you're a provider, you might meet a dozen or two dozen people every day and it becomes routine. It's hard to, it's hard to truly listen. But both in terms of, getting care that felt felt good to me and also getting good care in terms of uh, diagnostically. Uh, my experience is that the providers who really listened either gained stuff that helped them become better providers or they were able to be providers that made me feel more human than, than other providers. Lan, how about you? What advice? I... I uh believed and and remain convinced that most of my healthcare providers have uh exhibited a sense of of caring that uh sustained me through certainly inpatient and to this day uh remains to be the case and certainly as uh, Kyle said listening is is a way of of conveying that uh also, something I noticed uh, in inpatient, uh, and perhaps still in outpatient, is that what what I want and what I think about my care uh, is important to my healthcare provider. That more so than I remember in my earlier experiences with medical care. I guess maybe that's a the philosophy now to, to allow the patient to direct more of their care. But, but that surprised me and, and seemed to mean a lot to me. And, and, and then just to be uh, real realistic about uh, and, and straightforward and try to be as honest uh, as they can about uh, the future and, and what to expect uh, down the road, very helpful. Oh, yeah, I've thought about this a lot since we talked, but um, and and I'm going to go maybe a little bit off the rails. But to me, it's the it's the relationship part. For, I, and maybe I'm you know going back to what I was talking about earlier. But um, but people like Kathy and now um, Dr. Jones that I see at Harborview, um, you know, I, I consider them friends of mine. You know, I've, I've I've known Kathy since I was 17 years old, for God's sake, right? Um, and so. It's uh, it's about going to somebody who you, for me anyway, who you trust, who you, you've got a relationship with, and um, yeah, that for me it's the biggest thing for sure. I, you're, you're never gonna get it all right. You're just never gonna. Um, but uh, if if you're working with somebody like I said, you've got a relationship with, it's it just make, it seems to me to make it all kind of work out. Can you talk a little bit about what those factors are for you? Because, I mean, obviously, I think what both Lan and what Kyle were saying in terms of people who listen and who care, is there other pieces about that in terms of that relationship? Um, I think it's, uh, 
it's all the stuff that's not about why I, I tend to go to, to the doctor um, when something is acutely wrong. <laughs> um, I, I, I generally don't go in for a, a yearly checkup, I, um, but um, when, when something's wrong, I self-select, I figure out, you know, who, who's the right person to see with this particular malady, and I go there, right? Um, if, if that person um, doesn't understand who I am, it, it, it's, it's almost overwhelming for me. I mean, I, I, uh, a friend of mine um, who's, um, who's pretty heavy, uh, I was complaining about uh, going to a brand new doctor one day and said, yeah, you know, I get the same thing all the time. I'll go in with a cough and the doctor will say it's because you're fat. And he'll say, you know, I've been fat since I was 10, but I've only had this cough for a couple of weeks, right? Um, so, and, and that's kind of where I'm at with the wheelchair thing, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to explain that, you know, I, it's not so much the explaining, but um, yeah, but that, that's basically it, yeah. right? It's, it's not all about the spinal cord injury. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about, yeah, it's about knowing somebody to me. Um, I think there's two things that come to mind. And the first is, we talked a little bit about, I think someone on this panel might have some better terms for this than I do. Um, but particularly in the, for folks in inpatient, I think there's this balance between, um, painting a hopeful picture of them swinging across their house in monkey bars huh? and <laughs> painting a realistic picture. Um, and I think it's really important, uh, to paint a hopeful picture, but one that has a lot of realism attached. And so finding that balance, um, I know that when I was an inpatient, it was um, really frustrating to hear, oh, well, this might be impossible for you to do right now, but you'll be able to do it someday, you know? And uh, everybody is different, but, you know, when something takes you a year or two years or more than two years to learn, it is a really long time, and it's really hard to just remain, um, you know, optimistic every day that you'll be able to do it. So just being able to communicate um, that balance to people, I think, is really important. Uh, and the second thing is, I think particularly with spinal cord injuries, which are always really different and involve, you know, a dramatic change in one's life, um, and with changing technologies and everything, I think treating it as shared expertise is really important um, because, you know, I've learned some stuff in the internet and gone to see a doctor and had doctors tell me things that I know are not true. You know, like stuff I've seen people do or stuff I haven't seen people do. And, and I, here I've got a doctor telling me, oh, well, that'll be impossible for you to do. And I'm like, well, I've seen it on the internet. Which, you know, don't believe everything you see on the internet. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of things that, um, that, you know, we learn at forums like this or we learn from each other and doctors aren't necessarily learning or hearing about. Um, and so being able to listen to your patients and, you know, hear their experiences and share those experiences with other patients is really important um, and lets us, you know, share what we've learned as well along the way. Um, can you also talk a little bit, I know you, um, I don't remember who it was, and you talked about the experience of having um, someone talk to you about kind of um, the amount of effort you put in and what that um, would turn into, um, and I, I think it was while you were on inpatient rehab. Um, I th 
think that was, uh, you know, that was learning how to do some things like put on my shirt, um, which at the time was really impossible. I really couldn't do it. And now I can do it better myself. But I think, um, you know, there were a couple instances in inpatient. Um, just that for me, uh, it's really hard just being told, well, you'll be able to do this someday. I think that was, um, uh, it just, it made it more frustrating for me, right? I was like, well, I can't do it right now. And it, um, I, I think that's partly just a communication and a personality thing. Um, but I think there is, it's just a really tough um, balance, I think, between the sort of vision you have of what you're going to be able to do and um, that reality. Um, and I don't know if you remember that, phrase that I think someone else came up with or you had said to me the hope crusher versus the dream oh I don't remember now was that one of you guys that was it it was really good Uh, sorry that we can't remember it for the (laughs) panel maybe somebody in the audience remembers it yeah um the other thing that I just wanted to kind of highlight in what you guys have been saying, and I think we didn't talk about it specifically, is kind of the choice of words that people use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm going to go back to you, Lan, because I think it was with you that we had this con- We were talking about um, just, you know, some of the words that they're accurate, um, but they can be just so crushing. And I think you had mentioned hearing the word like incontinent. Um, and it was early on in your your time. Do you remember us talking about that? Just how hard of a that people have to be careful about how they describe things and what words they use. Oh uh, yeah, that was uh, I think maybe my second day in in inpatient, and and I, I'd had an, I'd had an accident, and the uh, attendant was you know used that that word and. The, I felt like I was, you know, stabbed. <laughs> it was just, uh, oh, it, that's, you know, in my image of, of what that meant was uh, way in another world of someone that I would ever be. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, a, you know, a, a, bad, a bad moment. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I think you've all have described those things of just the words that people choose to use have a lot of power Mm -hmm. um, and being careful about making sure that you have shared understanding and and kind of listening. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to now open it up for questions in the audience. Um, Do people have any questions for our panel of experts here? Because I could keep asking questions. Anyone? So the other, so I'll start. Um, I, I think that um, I'm curious about kind of thinking about different kind of provider groups and thinking about kind of the transition from inpatient to outpatient um, with like for physical therapy. Um, what was the handoff like for you? Because I think one of those things, those transitions are often one of the complexities there. What went well for you guys with those transitions? Because everybody went from inpatient therapies to outpatient therapies, what was the things that helped the handoffs or or the way people prepared you for what to expect next? Because it's very different. Mm-hmm. So Kyle, do you want to start with that one? Um, I really had uh, an incredible team of uh, family and friends um, 
who helped me through that transition. Um, I think that I relied on, on them more than providers, particularly because I went from Denver, being a hospital in Denver, to doing outpatient here or at, at Harborview. Um, so just getting the, those two teams to coordinate, I relied on my partner a lot and my family a lot. So I think uh, yeah, the providers didn't didn't help much in that transition. I think in terms of being prepared for it, uh, they did a pretty decent job at, at Craig. Um, but in terms of bridging that gap, it was it was just family and friends. So it yeah. might have been helpful to have a little bit more help in that bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about for you, Lan? Well, I I think I I had a, a gap between uh, inpatient and outpatient, I, I uh, had a pressure sore uh, from uh, early on in, when I was in uh, the hospital. And, and uh, I had a few months where I wasn't really allowed to you know, go out and get involved in, in outpatient. But uh, then uh, when, when I finally did and got connected, I, by then I was feeling better and much more motivated, and 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 I was uh, eager to uh, start uh, exercising and developing my strength. Plus, my diagnosis uh, had uh, improved. Uh, they reclassified my my level of uh, injury, and so it seemed like things were were moving in the right direction at that point. How about you, Don? Um, the, uh, I, w- I was talking about these, or with these folks earlier, and um, back in 1981, uh, they had this, um, this deal where they would bring you back. Um, and it was, uh, I thought it was, it was great, really. Um, you know, you, you learn how to go out and, or more or less take care of yourself and do the things you, you think you're going to need to do to be you know, independent. And you got this sort of trial period where you could, you know, go off for three months um, and, you know, try it. And then they'd bring you back um, and uh, sort of brush up for two or three weeks of, like, inpatient PT. Um, that was pretty super handy. Uh, I thought, anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a great way to transition, I think. Got a little bit of a trial run. Yeah. I just build on that and say, I think one of the hardest things is you get home and everything's different because you don't have a million people coming to help take care of you all the time. And you're at your own house. And it's really, um, it's it's kind of stunning, right? That uh, all of a sudden you have to figure all of these things out at once. That would be really useful <laughs> if you got to go home for a little while and figure out what you need to figure out and then go back and learn more. Um, I would say that leaving inpatient and moving to outpatient felt like a really um, tough transition. And um, I think it would have been nice to have more support in that. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it is what insurance companies will, will or will not pay for. Um, so it's not so much the provider's fault. I think that the... Um, therapists do a good job of 
telling you that things will get better, um, but that's really hard when you're experiencing it. Um, so at least for me, I think that was the hardest part. And then, you know, meeting my primary care doctor who I had never met before, it, she was very nice, but she had no idea what to do with a spinal cord injury. Um, and she wanted to work with me, but mostly that meant saying, okay, whatever you need, I'll do. You know, she wasn't, she didn't have any knowledge really to build off of. Um, and now there's a question in the back. If there's anything you can provide that helps to us as providers that would be more supportive or more helpful in you being that advocate for yourself that this is related to your injury versus not, um, because just as Kyle kind of said, like, you're this person at the dentist before, and now you're like this person that happens to have an injury that makes mobility different, but you're still that same person. And I think it's like providers really expect you to be this new expert that you might not necessarily be. And mm-hmm. I, you know, since John's been around a little bit longer with this injury, just if there's anything you can provide or anything as we as providers should help with supporting you to make that call a little bit more, that's something I always kind of think about because I always try to say, I'm available to a primary care doctor and, you know, you've got one that really understands spinal cord injury, mm-hmm. but not all of them do and not all of them are in Epic and I can't, like, e-care them or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, whatever anyone can provide. Yeah. Don, do you want to start? Yeah, I, uh, to be honest, I don't know that I have any great insight there. Um, I can give you an example one time where... Um, I was frustrated. Maybe you guys can help me understand how I might have done it better. I, I spent uh, maybe three or four years chasing around. I, I used to get these fevers, um, and they were close to debilitating. My head would pound, and I'd be out of work for a couple of days, and um, I could never figure it out, the blood tests and all this stuff. And, and in my head, I hadn't connected fever with spinal cord injury. So I wasn't going to people like Kathy and Dr. Jones. I was going to, you know, the local Virginia Mason guy, right? And um, and what it turned out to be was dysreflexia, right? Um, I, I just had to pick the right guy. Right? <laughs> I just had to get back to somebody and go, oh, yeah, we know what that, that is. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know that I have any insight into how, how to get that right. Clearly, I got it wrong for a couple of years. But, um, but you know, I think now I've got... Like Dr. Jones was saying, I've got a primary care physician at the UW who um, who knows who's not brand new to spinal cord injury people. She's not, um, a, you know, Dr. Jones, but she's uh, but she she gets it, um, and she can better than I can sort of triage. Is that a spinal cord thing like dysreflexia, or is that the flu, or is that you know some weird um, you know other thing that nobody knows about, right? So anyway, I I don't know that I answered any questions there, but no, I think I I think that's one of the most difficult things is that balance of um, how to become an expert in something you're not an expert in yet, um, but also to balance that out with how do you find the right people to ask those questions of. Uh, question. I think some of you had spoken to this. I'm just curious because as providers, one of the most anxious periods for us is we discharge people from the inpatient world of rehab is that transition to home because we know it's tough. Um, from your perspectives, how how can we better prepare people for that transition? 
Um, what would you have liked to have heard? How would you like to have heard that? How early in your hospital course were there increasingly short lengths of stay? Would you have liked to have hear, heard that? Longer stays. Yeah, Who wants to start? Land, do you want to speak to that first? The, the question was how early did we want to hear what our prognosis no, about the transition home. So how, how soon should we be talking about transition home? What kind of things would you have liked to have in order to prepare? Because it is, as Shannon said, as you guys have all talked about, that's a, uh, a big, oh, huge okay. transition. Okay. The, uh, with six weeks, uh, for me that six weeks went really fast. And uh, the goals at the beginning uh, were set pretty high, and in, in uh, three to four weeks, I hadn't met the, the goals, the, the transfer goals, the, the physical goals. And so then they started talking about the date I would, I would go home and what the plans would be. And I, I felt at that point like I uh, hadn't, hadn't met my goals and that I somehow needed to... Uh, meet or come closer to the goals before I could go home. So uh, at, at some point I needed to, to refocus on the goals and have a, a different view of what it would take to, to be home. Uh, I, it seems like uh, at, at about that point my physiatrist came and told me about, well, yes, they used to have people in inpatient uh, a lot longer, like maybe a year or, or more. And we uh, read a book about somebody who'd been in inpatient for two years, and uh, that uh, sounded, I, I think, uh, the person had been uh, on one side for one year and another side for another year. It sounded, well, that doesn't sound, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Either. So uh, the, uh, the, the prospect became daunting when I felt like I hadn't accomplished my goals. I felt like somehow I needed to, to be much, much more functional and, and was, was not ready. And so it, somehow there had to be something different about that. I, I needed to be more, more ready psychologically than, than I was. I don't know how that would be accomplished, to tell yeah, you the truth. That's something for us to think about. Shannon, how about you? Did you, is there things, I mean, you were very clear that that was just very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Are there specific recommendations that you'd give to us um, to, to do it maybe a little bit better? Thinking about that, and I wonder, you know, one of the things that helped the most for me was meeting other people with spinal cord injuries. So, that mentor relationship was really important. And I think it was a couple months after my accident that I went to the first Here and Now meetup. And so helpful. I learned so many helpful things there. I wonder if it'd be possible um, for folks to shadow someone, you know, for a day before they leave the hospital just to get a sense of, you know, what it really looks like um, or maybe make a day in the life of video or something if someone would be willing to do that. Um, because it really is that, okay, how am I going to do all of these things? What is my life going to look like? And I think there is a certain psychological element that is just um, unsurmountable. You know, it's just 
has to be experienced. But I also think that there's some real logistical matters that you really are not sure how you're going to handle, you know. Um, for those of us who need caregivers, that is a whole other thing. It's like running a small business on top of whatever else you do in life. And, you know, being able to, you know, handle that on top of all of the other changes in life is really overwhelming. So, yeah. Kyle, did you? Yeah, I think it's important to have those discussions early. Um, and I think having a map is really helpful. So you've got these variables that are unpredictable. Insurance is somewhat one of them. Uh, your progression of recovery is certainly one of them. Uh, any hiccups is another one. So if you have a, a recovery map and you have, can, uh, re you revisit it and reevaluate it as changes occur so that just so you have as much awareness to that moving target where, where it is and how it's moving and what, and goals that are, that still, that still exist before they need to reach before that happens. That's excellent. Okay, one last quick question. Um, Lan, at the beginning, you mentioned sort of responsiveness with uh, your wheelchair repairs, and I'm curious to hear from each of you sort of what your expectation for responsiveness and timeliness is, because I think it can really range from different providers, and it might be helpful for people in the crowd to hear like what's a good timeline and how quickly do you expect to get a response when you have a problem with equipment? Anything. Timeliness. Not quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone disagree with it? I mean, I think one of the things you learn pretty quickly is that everything takes forever. And... You know, I had some parts ordered, and I got a call saying, okay, your parts are in, and so I make an appointment, and I show up, and in my other wheelchair, so this one can get fixed, and it turns out the parts aren't actually there. They shouldn't have called me and made the appointment. I hear stories like that all the time from everybody. And then, you know, if I want to change the armrest on my chair and have my insurance pay for it, I have to make an appointment to go see a physical therapist to get a prescription written for my insurance. And, you know, it's just important to know that these things are all going to take a really long time. And hear that up front. All right, we are out of time. I want to thank you all for joining us today. And please um, join me in thanking our fabulous panel. Thank you for listening to the SCI Forum podcast. To learn more or to make a donation, please visit sci.washington.edu.